Hey, welcome back to the Silver Fortune podcast. I have a returning guest on the podcast today, Paul Halfdollar Eberhardt, managing editor of silverdoctors.com. Paul, how are you doing today? Doing great, Matt. Thanks for having me back on your show. You know, before we get into kind of the discussion, any of the questions I have today, I wanted to start off with with a heartfelt thanks to to yourself as well as silverdoctors.com as a whole. For years, you guys have supported my channel, my YouTube channel, my podcast, um, through simply through sharing my content. You know, I was looking the other day and, and it's like upwards of two, 200,000 views that I've gotten just through silverdoctors.com. And, and that's been always a huge thing for me. And so I, I just want to start off by saying I appreciate that. And, and I, I thank you for all the work you do for not only for, for my own channel, but, but for this uh, community that we have. Yeah, I appreciate that, Matt. And, you know, it's interesting because we don't just want, you know, the top people who are, you know, saying the same thing over and over who are just like, you know, the most famous people in the space. We want to give other people opportunities to, you know, come on the platform and be able to express their opinions and share their information and thing like that. And I think that Silver Doctors is a place to do that because, you know, we have the most popular people in the space. Now we have people who are total nobodies who just say, hey, can you give me a chance? And we give them a chance. And, um, you know, half the time they get chased away and scared away because of all the trolls in the comments, but that's a different story altogether, Matt. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I, I really appreciate that. I mean, I, I know it, whether it's in, in kind of the precious metal space or just kind of the alternative financial media. You know, I think back to a couple of years ago, there was, um, you're probably familiar with, with uh, uh, what's his name, Chris Irons, uh, Quoth the Raven. And, and his podcast. And I remember when he started and it was just a tiny little operation, this guy who, who uses you know, far more um, um, profanity than, than any other podcaster out there that I would listen to. Um, uh, I had very different style. And, and yet he's he's huge now. He's very popular. And, and it's through, you know, it's, it's through kind of organic growth or, or just people sharing it like like you're talking about with silverdoctors.com. And so I appreciate that a ton, you know, getting into the to the to the discussion today, I, I think it's it's only appropriate that we start with maybe the topic that's been kind of first and, and forefront in, in kind of the, the silver and precious metals news. And that's been the silver squeeze movement, or maybe as of this last weekend, you know, silver squeeze 2.0, the Wall Street silver movement that we've seen uh, really, really take over this space uh, thus far in 2021. It's been a crazy year for silver. I mean, 2020 was a, a pretty crazy year in and of itself, uh, and not just because of COVID, but but even just specific to the precious metal space, a huge year for demand, um, especially uh, in, in the first half of the year, but that really followed through through the end of the year. I mean, compared to, uh, this is, so I want to ask you, somebody that's been in this market for quite some time, um, how does this compare to, to, let's say, the great financial crisis the, the run-up in 2011, the buy silver crash JP Morgan movement. Uh, how does this compare to, to those times in, in you know past 10, 20 years? Um, good question. I think it's kind of just building on itself. And every time there's this, you know, new kind of like up-and-coming group. Um, that it's kind of building on itself and feeding on itself. But let me take a step back first and explain why I think that, right? Because like, it's going to be weird. and It's going to sound weird to you today, Matt, but I'm going to talk about turtles for a couple times today. And, and the first thing I want to say about turtles is like, you know how you got the little sea turtles that hatch on the beach, right? And like, they know how to get to the ocean, right? It's like part of their genes. It's part of their makeup. Sure. So, 
So I do believe, you know, that 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 in our most hardcore survival DNA or whatever you want to call it, that 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 humans have it ingrained in us, that gold and silver of money after thousands and thousands and thousands of years, just like fire. Right. We're born. We don't know how to start a fire. We don't know how to use fire. But we know that fire is an important tool. And that same token, gold and silver is an important tool. And as we move through this craziness with governments and central banks around the world, printing money, monetizing everything, suppressing interest rates, taking the negative, all this and that. What's happening is that more and more people are starting to have that dormant gene, for lack of a better term, turn on. And then all of a sudden they say, what's going on? Now, for me, what happened with me is, you know, over the course of several years, you know, you work hard and you save your money and and you start, you know, getting a comma in your savings account. And then you got five digits in your savings account. And then you're like, wait a second, I got 50 grand in a savings account and I'm not getting anything in interest at all whatsoever. And in fact, not only am I not getting anything in interest, but I'm losing money to inflation. So my money in the savings account is losing purchasing power. So so once people realize these dynamics that are going on, they become get curious and then they naturally move towards gold and silver because, in my opinion, only gold and silver are money, period. So um, this is just the natural part of learning. And as things get crazier in the markets, as things get crazier in the economy and the financial system, more and more people are going to start learning because that gene's just naturally going to kick in and people are going to finally start to get it. So I think that's what's happening here, right, is, is there's this natural organic interest in money and in protecting oneself because of what's going on in the financial system. So, you know, you got 2008, that's one thing you got, you got, you know, where, where, where silver eagles are impossible to find and premiums shoot up to the roof. You got 2011, which is another thing. You got the whole um, buy silver crash, JP Morgan. So all these are just different waves of interest coming into the gold and silver space. And it's only going to increase as time goes on. Um, Now, as far as the specific, uh, Wall Street silver movement, I have mixed emotions about it because uh, people are like, oh, why aren't you supporting this cause? Why don't you jump on this bandwagon? And, and, and I've been following it since day one, and I've been reporting on it since day one. And the very first thing that kind of got me like a sour taste in my mouth was when they were talking about silver, and then they immediately turned that post, that original post that was on Wall Street Silver bets before it became Wall Street Silver, they immediately turned that into a pump for First Majestic Silver. So that was my first red flag that came up, right? And then, you know, I have also mixed emotions about it because on the one hand, they're shouting and the manipulation, but on the other hand, they're like, well, buy these triple levered ETFs on options and, and buy these miners here and buy this and that. And see, I don't think that you can do it that way. I don't think the manipulation can end. I don't think you can say let's end the manipulation on one hand, but on the other hand, and support Wall Street in that sense of having gambling in the rigged casino, essentially, right? I look at Wall Street as a rigged casino, and anybody who's in there is a gambler gambling it. And, you know, some people win, but eventually everybody will lose. Um, So I have mixed emotions about it. You know, they talk about, hey, we got 30,000 people. We got 40,000. Yesterday, it was like, now we got 70,000 people in our group. Well, yeah, I mean, you should have 7 million because you got, like, the hardest heavy hitters in the industry, that are supporting your cause, right? You got all these people going to bat for you and there's only 70,000. And, and 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 furthermore, why are they going to bat for you? And why are they going to bat for you right now? I mean, where were all these people in 2011? 
right? Where was the end the manipulation screens back then? Why didn't they jump on board back then? Where were they in 2015 when silver was bottoming? Where were they in late 2016? Where were they in 17? Where were they in 18? Why is it now, you know? Um, is it because they're making all these juicy administrative fees and all these other, you know, types of, of commissions off of these trusts that everybody likes to buy, even though it's a financialized Wall Street product? Um, I'm going off in tangents left and right. Do you, do you have anything you want me to add or clarify there, Matt? No, I think you bring up some good points. You know, for me, I, I, I totally agree with, with the skepticism, right? Early on, uh, even just the, the heavy focus on SLV versus even PSLV was a bit of a red flag um, because PSLV is certainly uh, a far cry from physical silver in your own possession, but I have a higher amount of, of confidence uh, in, in PSLV than I would in SLV. You know, they're, they're still pretty night and day to me. And, and, and eventually I think they, they, they realized at least on the, the wall street silver side versus, you know, wall street bets that, that PSLV or physical silver would be the way to go. You know, for me, it's a question of, of, of not only what, what you're talking about, you know, what do, do they really understand are, are their actions consistent with, with the movement? For me, it's also a question of staying power. Um, now, like you said, there's maybe this innate, this innate uh, desire in us to, to, to pursue, you know, silver and gold over fiat, over, you know, crypto or stocks or whatever. And so when I go through their, their, their Reddit and, and you see these, you know, you know, know, by the term of apes, which, which I do, I do enjoy that, you know Um, but, but, you know, you see these, these apes, these people that have never bought physical silver, never bought physical gold before, uh, posting pictures of, you know, 10, 20, 100, 200 ounces that they bought. And I look at that and I say, that was me. That was you and I once upon a time. And we're still in the market. There's something about that physical metal that draws people to it, to, to stick to it. Um, plus, there's the added hurdles of, of you know, there's less liquidity. There, I don't know if that's quite the right word. A little bit less liquidity, a little bit more of a chore to, to get rid of physical metal than it would be, say, PSLV. And so when I see people buying the physical metal, I'm thinking, you know, maybe one in five, one in 10, maybe one in two of those people are going to be still going to be in this space, hopefully, you know, a few years in the future. The, the question of staying power is for those that are buying just the mining stocks or just PSLV, because that can be undone with, with, a, with a click of a mouse. And, uh, you know, you see all these, these massive ads to, to the, the Sprott Physical Trust. Um, up almost 50 million ounces, I think, since this all started, you know, another million ounces, I think they just reported yesterday. And that's a huge deal. And, and I, and again, going back to, you know, the distinction between PSLV and SLV, I think, I I tend to think that that silver is much more likely to be there than than it is with SLV, but it also can be undone in, in, in a matter of days, right? You know, I was going to say, you know, you look at the inventory that was supposedly built by by SLV, and and certainly I had my doubts about that, but but they did build a on paper build a massive inventory, you know, back in February, and that's completely that's been completely undone since then. Mm-hmm. And here's the other thing, right? The other thing is those are all good points that you're making, but the other thing that I'm thinking is. You know, so you got this new group, right? This brand new group, and they love making their memes, and they love making their little cartoons and their little two-minute videos and stuff like that. And that's great, right? Anything that raises awareness to gold and silver is great. 
the problem that I have is you got all these opportunists that are looking at 70,000 subscribers to their newsletter. So all of a sudden, instead of raising awareness for the advocacy of gold and silver, and you see, in my opinion, it's not even a choice, right? If you're an American, it's not a choice. It's, it's a requirement. Gold and silver are required to be our money by the U.S. Constitution. It's not even a choice, right? But that said, if, if you're trying to raise awareness for gold and silver, that's great on the one end. But on the other end, if half of the stuff that is on this group is about pumping the miners, well, I have a problem with that because you're never going to end the manipulation if you're doing that. In my mind, there's only one way you can end the manipulation is that's the star of the beast. And that means many things. But one thing that it absolutely means is not gambling in rigged casino. And we can get into that a little bit. And I want to get into that a little bit because I want to explain it again in the sense of a turtle. And it's going to sound weird. But I want to talk about that. So, so that's the issue that I have with it, right? Is that that yes, you're raising awareness. Yes, that's great. But a lot of these people who have this awareness, and it happened to me. You know, I blew up a trading account. I ran up a trading account from thirty eight hundred dollars to twenty thousand dollars in six months, and I put on fifty thousand dollars with the trades, and then I got into all the triple levered options, and then I watched it ride down and lost every single penny of it. So I know what's coming. And then half of these miners are going to be these sleazy, shady companies that are never going to amount to anything. They're just jumping on the bandwagon and making money and laughing at you in the process, right? So there's all this stuff that's going on that I don't like about it, where I wish it was just about the advocacy of gold and silver, but it's not, right? And that's the other problem that I have. If you got someone who's shouting, let's end the manipulation, let's investigate this, let's go to the CFC and knock on their door and say, hey, you got to do this, hey, you got to do that. But on the other hand, you're being sponsored by the miners, you're saying buy these ETFs, that is not helping the cause, right? That's a conflict of interest. That's like when I ran the homeless shelter, everybody around the world was coming up with these 10-year 10 10 year plans to end homelessness. Well, they don't really want to end homelessness because that's their bread and butter. You see what I'm saying, Matt? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I've, I've thought about that for my, if I'm going to be honest, I'm, I'm, I, I want to see this manipulation end. And, mm-hmm. and this thought has probably crossed your mind too. You want the manipulation and you, you want, you know, silver and gold to be realized at their real value. Um, but then once that happens, our, our outlook, as far as what we do, as far as content producers changes radically because there's not that kind of carrot in front of, you know, carrot on a stick in front of people anymore. Right. I think I think that, you know, uh, we're talking about crazy dynamics in the world at that point, though. So I think the outlook for everybody is going to change, because in my opinion, the cartel fears silver more than anything else in the entire world and even more than gold, because gold is the money of nations. But silver is the power of the people. Silver is the actual real power of the people. And that's what they're really afraid of. So when this manipulation does actually finally end, we're looking at whole new world dynamics anyway. Here's what I want to say about the manipulation, right? See, and here's why they can't do it through this group if they're spending half of their time talking about the miners and pumping the miners and stuff like that. Because if you're trying to end the manipulation, well, you know, the problem is that the cartel has unlimited money, right? And this isn't some shadowy, shady group, right? You go to treasury.gov, you look up the exchange stabilization fund, and right there in plain English and black and white, it says, you know, we can manipulate any market at any time for any reason, period. That's basically what it says in three little paragraphs. And they work in conjunction through the Fed, mainly the New York Fed, and they have agents that work on behalf for one or both of them. So that's the cartel that we're talking about. And the problem is, you know, the Fed's unaudited. And even if they were audited, we're not going to see the real books anyway, right? So the problem is that they have unlimited money. 
And because they have unlimited money, that gives them unlimited time. And because they have unlimited money and unlimited time, you can never, ever, ever beat that ever. And it's not really an issue where, oh, well, they don't have the physical metal. Well, they got so much legalese written and all that stuff that it doesn't matter anyway at that point. Here's what I want to say that's going to sound weird about turtles, but think about this, right? And I actually like turtles, but... um. You know, many, many years ago, we bought this little teeny tiny red-eared slider turtle. I don't even know if you know what that is, but it's like a water turtle, right? It swims in the water. It's a nice little yeah, water. Okay. And uh, we bought this from like some shady dude in a Walmart parking lot back in El Paso, Texas, many years ago. And it was like the size of a silver dollar when we bought it. And uh, and we grew up this, we let this thing grow up for like, I think it was like 15 years old when they gave it away. And it went from like a 10-gallon tank to like a 30 to like a 60. It just got too big and it was too much work. But here's the interesting thing, right? That turtle never once in its life ever saw a fish, ever. And one day we put a fish in the tank and, you know, immediately the turtle ate it, right? He never saw a fish in his life. And immediately the turtle eats the thing, right? So over the years, you know, I don't know if that's cruel or not. I have birds that eat worms in my yard and I watch that while I'm, you know, sitting at the table eating lunch or something like that. So, so I don't know. I mean, I feed a fish, I feed a turtle live fish because that's what turtles eat, right? So I don't think that that's evil or cruel, but here's the point. The point is anytime I would put a fish into that, tank right right the fish have no idea that there's this beast in there that's going to eat them because the fish have never seen a turtle for that matter so you know if 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 the turtle doesn't go after that fish well you know he's fine with that because the turtle has just like the cartel he's got unlimited money and he's got time on his side so what's the money the money is me feeding the turtle and feeding the fish right that's that's the unlimited money so he knows that that food's just going to keep getting sprinkled in the aquarium but sooner or later there will come a time when the turtle just decides to eat the fish every single time it happens every single time and that's my point with that right like people might think oh yeah well you know i'm sticking it to the man because i'm trading these markets and i'm taking my money out and i'm stacking physical gold and silver. Okay, well, you're beating the man, but there's 10 other people who aren't beating the man who are losing to the man. So what you're really doing is enabling the man. So that's why I have a problem with it because every time, you know, sooner or later, somebody's going to lose out and and they're going to basically lose the shirt off of their backs because of the fact that as a trader, as a group, right? You can't go up against a cartel because you don't have unlimited time. You don't have unlimited money, right? Unlimited money being the key thing, which can turn into unlimited time. So, you know, just like every time I would put a fish into that turtle's tank and know sooner or later, the turtle's going to eat that fish. And sometimes, you know, the turtle, you know how like a turtle sticks its head above the water and all you see is the little head up there. Well, generally speaking, the turtles will spread out and they'll extend their legs and they'll extend their, 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 their arms and legs. And, you know, the fish will even get up there and they'll pick at the underside and they'll like clean the turtle on the underside and they'll actually become friends. And it's like, you see, you think that you're in control, but you're really not in control. And sooner or later, that beast is going to get you. So did any of that make any sense at all, Matt? Yeah, absolutely. I think we have uh, in the silver market specifically, you have the great example of the Hunt brothers and, and their failed attempt at cornering the market. Um, and, and then more recently, you know, uh, apart from the, the precious metals markets, you have this whole thing with with uh, with GameStop. And, and, and even if it wasn't um, specifically the exchange stabilization fund, uh, they were playing by somebody else's rules. The rules were changed because that was in the rule book. In the case of GME, you know, basically said on a lot of these a lot of these um, brokerages basically said, hey, you can't buy it. <laughs> You can sell it. You can't buy it, though. Or you only can buy one share at a time. 
they changed the rules and and they lost. And and, I, and so I totally get what you're saying is that, you know, in the precious metals market, if if you're um, thinking that you're going to to win by the current you know rules of the system, um, well, you got to find a way to win that will still work if the, the rules are changed. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah, well, no, yes and no. In my idea, the only way to win is what I call starving the beast. I say you have to starve the beast, right? Because so talk more about that. Okay, well, so 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 you have a cartel, right? You have a group of people that are actively suppressing the prices of gold and silver by matter of policy for a whole number of things, right? To protect the hegemony of the U.S. dollar, to draw attention here and not draw attention there. For a myriad reasons, you got you got the active suppression of gold and silver. So I think that, you know, if you want to end that, right, the only way you can end that is by starving the beast, right? Because the beast has unlimited money and it has time on its side and you can never win against that, right? So so one of the ways that you starve the beast is by not participating, right? Which is by not having mining shares, by not buying ETFs, by not buying stocks. That's part of that beast system. And until you just say, I'm out, I opt out of it and you starve it, you don't participate and you leave that sector, then, then then that's one of the things that happens, right? Another thing is, is not having money in the banks. I don't know why anybody would have money in the bank in the first place, because it's just losing purchasing power any day. But that's just another thing, right? All these little things that people can do, where what you have to do is you have to starve it because you can't fight it, right? It's like, it's like, you know, some ragtag militia going up against the United States military in 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 some like you know small rural town that's never going to be any kind of I mean it's not even going to be an afterthought right they would get obliterated so there's no way you can directly fight the manipulation in this sense you have to starve the beast if you want to end the manipulation there's also other things around that that you know people might or might not agree with that none of this is saying you should do this or you should do that right none of this financial advice none of that stuff but like you know a lot of things like 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 just not participating by not having that 401 slash retirement account slash stuff like that. Instead, you know, have a car that's paid off and have gold and silver and have a house that's paid off and have, you know, stores of food, stuff like that can still be as equally beneficial, but they're things that will help move towards this starving the beast mentality because there's no way that you can fight this group on. And then the manipulation in that sense, because like you said, yeah, they're going to change the rules when push comes to shove. That's one of the things that they did in 2011 um, in May was when they did those, you know, five margin, five, five margin hikes over the course of like, was it five or eight days or something like that. And, 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 and so they will do all of these sketchy shady things when push comes to shove, because they're not going to lose. Um, Anything you wanted to add on to that, Matt? You know, you at the towards the end there, you went exactly where, where I was was thinking in the sense that you know, just like with with a let's say like with a diet, it doesn't have to be an all or nothing thing because I can I can sense people recoiling at the thought of like, well, okay, I, I'm fine with keeping my essentials and and my stock, uh, sorry, my my bank account, and that's it to, to pay for essentials. And, and that's it. I'm not going to make it a huge savings account or I'm okay with, with, you know, I mean, a lot of them don't have a 401k or an IRA for this reason, but then recoiling at the fact of like, well, but, but mining stocks and, and the return I could get, you know, so, so you bring up this idea that like all of those ways are ways that you can basically starve this beast because if you're not, you're, you're, 
you're benefiting, you know, their system. You're enabling it, doesn't, it doesn't have to be an all or nothing thing. You know, this is something I've talked about in the past that like, like if you, if you just take the example of like a, a bank account, you know, if, if you were just looking at the dollar and, and supply and demand, and even if it, we were just talking, you know, thousands of dollars for the average listener, and that's a, that's a, that's a tiny, tiny amount, but it, it could be as simple as, like I said, you're just going to keep your essentials in the bank account and the rest you're going to keep either in cash you know, for like a, a cash emergency savings type deal, or you're going to keep it in, in precious metals. And that's going to be your um, tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of, you know, physical savings. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just those little things, they they go a long way when they're at scale. I mean, you think of, again, going back to the 70,000 members in, in Wall Street Silver, and let's say half of them are, are somewhat active at this point, you know, 35,000 um, cashing out of 401ks and IRAs and, and having, you know, cutting in half what they keep in, in the bank and, uh, you know, a couple other kind of conscious decisions, intentional decisions to, to start the beast, you know, you, know, you, you, you can, you can go. Those are great points you're bringing up. And I want to push back a little bit on that. Those are great points though, because, um, you know, one of the things it's just like with Bitcoin in 2017, right? And then you got all of these fly by night companies coming on the stock market and, you know, they're changing their name from like Long Island iced tea to Long Island Bitcoin or whatever it was. And then all of a sudden the stock goes parabolic for no reason other than sleazy opportunists. Right. So, so here's the problem with the mining stocks, right? First of all, one of the things is it's pretty much understood that a lot of these mining companies are enabling the system. They're not doing anything to expose the system. They're not doing anything to help end the manipulation. They're not doing any of these things to get free, fair market discovery and, 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 and the heavy hand of the suppression. Right? So why am I going to support that? That's question number one, right? Like, so if they're enabling the system by not standing up and, and doing their part to end this manipulation, then they're enabling the system just the same. Why do I want to get into that? And then the other point is, 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 is these shady fly-by-night companies. So right now, since there's so much excitement, since you got all this brand new 70,000 member group right here that didn't exist before February, right? So you got all of these, you know, the, the, these quants and these geniuses and all these people who know to Frankenstein, some sort of financialized product and get together all these new silver ETFs and silver companies and gold companies, and they're going to come onto the market and essentially they're going to be worthless. And these companies are never going to amount to anything. And they know that and they're going to get people to buy into these shares. And then as everybody's buying them on a retail level, and then they're just going to sell into them. And then the joke's going to be on the retail trader. So there's a lot of sketchiness. So I would say that yes and no. I mean, on the one hand, the miners are important because you need to bring gold and silver to the market. But on the other hand, if the miners aren't doing their part to end the manipulative price suppression, I have a problem with that. And then when you got all these pumpers coming out here, pumping the miners and all these companies that are coming into existence that are like basically nothing companies just taking advantage of this bandwagon that have a problem with that too. So, and then just yesterday, you know, people talk about, well, it's a leverage to gold and this and that. And well, what was that article that was on Zero Hedge yesterday? Something about Peru. Talking about like they're going to tax, um, you know, seventy percent for foreign businesses or something like that. So I mean, the mining companies have a lot of risk in that sense too, um, because you know if we're talking about like taxes on the rich, tax hikes, um, 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 you know, wealth taxes, all of these things. Well, you can't find gold or silver. You know that it's it's hard because I buried mine in the desert somewhere in El Paso. I have no idea where I buried it, Mark Matt. So so that's one thing, right? So so but what can you do? 
do? Well, you can go to that miner and you can confiscate profits. You can confiscate gold. You can do a gazillion things at that level. So there's a lot of risk there too. So for a number of reasons, three of those, which I just mentioned, maybe even four, I do have a problem with the miners in that sense, if that, if that helps clarify what I think about that. I think you bring up some really good points. And I even think back to um, probably about a month or so ago, uh, one 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 of the more I guess established uh, silver miners, uh, Endeavor Endeavor Silver. You, you might have heard this news that they held back some of their production. Basically, they said uh, market prices right now don't you know justify us selling our entire production. They held back. I can't remember half a million ounces. You know, um, in the in the past, I think First Majestic has done a similar thing. But 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 the truth of that is that first. Okay, so take First Majestic. They've done something similar to that in the past. But, but they don't have that silver anymore, as far as I know. Um, I would be surprised if, if the silver that Endeavor has, if, if they haven't sold it into the market already, or if they will under $30 an ounce, you know, uh, that, that, that there's, there's kind of this idea that, you know, even if, you know, Keith Neumeyer or some of these other um, um, mining CEOs are, are on board with this movement, you also bring up a good point that if they were on board with it, then what's wrong with, with taking 10% of your production indefinitely and, and, and keeping it until, until silver's at an adequate, you know, until it's about $50 an ounce or, you know, um, and then slowly selling into the market, that would be maybe a better, a better um, sign that they're, they're on board with what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and don't get me wrong. There are a couple of good, good guys in this space that do acknowledge the manipulation and the act of price suppression and they do what they can. Right. I mean, a lot of times their hands are tied um, and that's understandable because you got the whole legal system and the government bearing down on them. And, and quite frankly, you know, other things as well that are a lot more sketchy and conspiratorial in nature that we don't even get get into. But yeah, so they, so, so, so some of them do try and raise the awareness and do what they can, but you know, that's the thing about starving the beast, right? My ideas, you know, yeah, they sound, but they're temporary, right? It's like you starve the beast one time, and then you can get back into doing whatever it is that you're doing. But the problem is that everybody's got to be willing to sacrifice in that sense and not participate just enough time to starve that beast. And then, well, then we're talking about brand new different dynamics and basically rebuilding the whole financial market system and basically the markets in the economy of the world at that point, right? Because you're talking about something that's massively changing on that scale. But uh, 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 but the problem is that nobody wants to sacrifice, right? Nobody wants to do their part because, you know, greed is very a strong, powerful thing that goes on. So, so, so I'm not willing to potentially miss out on winnings in the rigged casino because, you know, I'm, I like my winnings in the rigged casino. So that's the other problem is human nature. People won't do what they need to do to do their part to starve the beast. So that's a battle in and of itself, too which is why I have a problem with the Wall Street crowd because so much they pump about the miners when I feel if it was just advocate gold and silver, that's where they should, they should put their focus. But anyway, they don't ask me. So, so in terms of, of success of, of any movement, uh, Wall Street silver, silver squeeze, starving the beast. Uh, so I'm not going to put you on the spot and say like, when is it going to happen or give me a timeline or something like that. Mm-hmm. But Part of it, especially on the silver side, um, never mind, uh, you know, what people are doing with their with their dollars as far as uh, um, stocks or, or bonds or, or any specific stocks or, or any of that aspect of starving the beast that we all just kind of covered here in terms of just 
physical physical silver, buying physical silver. Uh, you, you, you could add physical gold in there as well. What, what type of longevity of demand are we talking here in this space? Um, primarily focusing on maybe the Western stacker, but, but you know, we could ter- certainly talk about um, other countries as well, like, like India. Uh, what type of longevity are we talking here? You know what? Five years from now, if, if this system hasn't been broken yet, how many people are still going to be buying? You bring up some good questions and some valid points there. And um, a few things I want to say about that, right? This whole cryptocurrency thing has been one of the things that has stemmed the demand and, and for lack of a better word, allows the, the manipulation of gold and silver to continue. Um, you know, I do think that we will ultimately be going back to gold and silver as money. Humans always do. I think that there's no reason that that is not going to happen. I mean, with all the experiments they're doing on with everybody right now, you know, they're trying their hardest, but I think that that gold and silver is ingrained in there at the very most primitive of survival skills in our DNA. So I don't think that they could mess with that because you try and mess with that switch specifically and that switch skills kills the host for lack of better words. But I don't need to get into specifics about that because I know how big tech works with the censorship. But my point is, you know, so I think that we're going back to gold and silver as money. And I think that we will. Um, the question is, you know, everybody's talking about this push into digital. That's going to be an absolute disaster. But here's the other thing, right, about starving the beast. And it's not a movement, right? It's just my crazy ideas that nobody wants to listen to because everybody thinks I'm a nut. But what happens is, you know, if if, if, if you can prolong all of this by by moving into like cryptocurrency and all this and all that, and then get into the digital dollar, which is still going to be basically nothing, right? So that's also prolonging our time until we get back to gold and silver. That's why I think that starving the beast is so important because that also ensures that we get back to gold and silver sooner, right? Like I'm hoping that this whole push towards digital fails spectacularly because that means that we're going to get back to gold and silver sooner, right? So all of this other stuff is just going to add to the delay. And here's the problem with that, right? It's only going to get worse because our financial system is unbacked debt-based fiat currency dependent on exponential unsustainable growth. So what that means is you always got to be printing more dollars into circulation because it's a Ponzi scheme and it's going to collapse at one point if you don't. So the dollar printing and the money printing has to go parabolic and exponential at some point. So the quicker we can cause that to happen, the better humanity is going to be because there's a lot of pain that's going to be evolved with moving to digital. People should not want that because that's pain there. There's going to be a lot of pain moving back to gold and silver, but the faster we can move back to gold and silver, the less pain there will be, which is why I'm so big on starving the beast. I haven't placed a trade in like three or four years now. I can't remember exactly how many it was, but you know, people have to do their part, but people won't do their part, which is why the manipulation goes on and on and on and on. And while every year some famous person saying, oh, this is the year. Oh, this is the year. Oh, this is the year. And it's never the year because we're dealing with human nature here. Yeah. So, so in terms of, of, you know, starving the beast or, or you bring up kind of, you're talking about this, this system that we live in with, with this parabolic rise in the supply of dollars. And that's something I think that that's, that's almost universally agreed upon almost, you know, in, in this space that, that the Fed, the central banks, central governments, they're on an unsustainable path. And, and, and you're kind of talking about this digital thing that's, that's been happening. It, you know, it reminds me 
this was this was probably a good five six years ago uh, of of a similar dynamic that that I remember seeing play out in some markets in China. Um, and, and it was it was this weird situation where you'd have a ton of money that was always flowing kind of to the next bubble. And it's almost like that's what we're in now. You know, back then it was it was uh, uh, um, I remember specifically that the Apple market ran up to ridiculously high levels and it wasn't on the basis of some 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 shortage or something like that. You know, but but that was the case. It moved from market to market to market like that. And I kind of see that that's where we're at right now. This 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 move from you know for a while it was just the S and P or just the Dow Jones and and then it was uh, uh, Apple and 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 Amazon and Google and then and then you get a little bit more speculative and you go into like Tesla and the Tesla stock and 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 then you have GME and you know but then at some point it moves away from just the stock market into like these cryptocurrencies you know and not even just Bitcoin. But but or just Ethereum, but but all these altcoins and, and and Dogecoin and and meme coins and it's it's I think it's all a product of of kind of the system we're in. You know, it's all it's all certainly a a sign of the times. It's a, it's a it's a confirmation of what so many people have talked about in this space. This this sense that we're on an unsustainable path that that this parabolic rise is probably going to be paired with with these these, these crazy happenings and these markets move from one bubble to the next, you know, when, when you see this play out in, in something like G, well, I mean, GME is one thing, but, but Dogecoin, I mean, it, how much of that is a sign of the times of us being that much closer to this break in or, or, or am I totally um, wrong and, and kind of hoping that. Um, no, I mean, it's definitely a sign of the times. And, you know, some things are hard, right? Because we're lucky in the United States, right? We can buy gold and silver all day long. And yeah, there's there's low availability and, and you got to pay a really high premium right now. But the selection is really good. Generally speaking, all things considered. But in other countries, you know, there's just not that same stuff, right? Like, like you can't go in other countries and as easily buy gold and silver, right? So that's one thing. So one of this thing with all of this craziness that's going on is because, well, that's what people can do, right? Because they can't do these other things like buy gold and silver. Or think about all the lockdowns and the shutdowns and all these people who are gamblers by their very nature and they're not all of a sudden going to casinos and they're not all of a sudden going to the racetrack and they're not all of a sudden doing all these things with their gamblings. So, so that's another reason why you got people moving into this. Then you got the bandwagon and, and they're so charismatic on top of that, right? Like these people who, who, who are these pumpers and these Bitcoin fanboys and stuff like that. I mean, they think that they've reinvented the wheel really. And, and really they haven't done anything, but they're very charismatic and they know how to influence people. Right. So, so I think it's a whole bunch of these dynamics that, that, that are leading into these weird, crazy kind of pushes. And then in the back of it, you know, absolutely the central banks and the governments love this stuff because they're developing the underlying, you know, sub system to see if this stuff can even work and come to fruition. So, you know, it's like they're doing all the heavy lifting for the central banks and the governments too. So that's another reason why they're steering, if I dare say, steering interest into that. And ultimately, all these people are going to get slaughtered, right? Because in my opinion, they're not digital assets, they're digital liabilities, right? You can't do anything with it unless you have, you know, 
network connectivity, ever expanding hard drive space, ever more powerful commuter processing power. And, and I know these things, right? I have a couple of tech degrees. I have multiple, you know, college degrees. One of them is in information systems and security, multiple tech certificates. So I understand the tech behind a lot of this stuff, right? I always say, and I don't know why I hear this, but somebody who is into Bitcoin or Dogecoin or something, and it's fine if you want to gamble, right? I have nothing against gambling. That's absolutely fine. I look at them as gambling, as opportunities to gamble. And that's fine if you're in for it for that. But if you're in for it thinking it's something else, well, you you need to learn about math. You need to learn about money or you need to learn about technology because a person who's in these things for any reason other than gambling is deficient in one of those areas, Matt. So changing gears a little bit, moving away from, from just uh, cryptocurrencies and, and, and kind of the digital markets um, and, and kind of back to the silver market. You know, one thing I, I wanted to touch on today was this, this kind of divergence to some extent between um, paper markets and, and, and physical markets. So, so if we can go back in time to, to roughly a year ago, maybe 13 months ago, in the midst of this huge amount of, of demand that we had um, for, for silver, uh, you know, March of 2020 was a huge year for, for, for physical silver demand. Uh, there was, in, in essence, a, a shortage of retail silver at that point in time. Premiums shot up. They came back down to some extent as the year progressed. But then, you know, we're, we're in 2021 now. Premiums are, are extremely high and and they're staying high. And you wonder at some point, when does that shortage in retail silver start to extend into um, not just wholesale silver, not, not wholesalers in the sense of wholesalers, but whole, like like COMEX uh, or thousand ounce, you know, COMEX or LVMA um, silver bars. At what points does it? So, so the reason I bring this up is because, you know, recently I was talking about this idea that like, you know, at some point there's there's an arbitrage opportunity here. If you can still take physical delivery of those thousand ounce bars relatively close to spot or whatever they're being you know settled at, and then you can turn around and sell them at a premium much higher than that, then at some point this premium is going to have to sort of regulate itself. You know, if 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 one dealer is selling at, you know, and, and there's a lot that goes into that. You know, um, I saw today there's there's a company Bison Bullion. They um that they bought a thousand ounce Comex bar, and they didn't pour it into new bars. They didn't uh they didn't they didn't make rounds out of it. They they broke it up into chunks. They we they weighed each chunk, stamped the weight on there, and and sold it. You know, and I thought that was. There's a creative way of doing it, but but at some point, you know, if if everything, if generic silver is selling at let's say four dollars over spot, and somebody can move into the market with Comex bars, you melt it down into you know ten ounce, hundred ounce bars, and sell them at two dollars over spot, undercut other people. There's an arbitrage opportunity there, so I don't think these premiums are always going to be sustainable as long as there's going to be some somebody that's going to to hopefully undercut that at some point. So my question for you, though, is is at what point do these premiums no longer just exist in the retail space for, for one ounce rounds or even 100 ounce bars, but starts to extend into to silver as a whole and actually see, you know, a true decoupling of, of kind of the physical paper market? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, several things going on there. You know, um, commodities are in backwardation, meaning I want it now. 
as opposed to in the future. Um, so there, there are signs of tightness in that sense. Um, I kind of want to take it in, in, in like a different direction uh, and talk just about the whole, not really the wholesale market, but just the more why, like, like, like casting the wide net. I don't even know what I'm trying to say. I'm rambling, but here's, you know, you don't even, have, you don't even need to edit that out or anything out any really, but here's That's my fine. point with that. Right. <laughs> like, like, like we were very, very close in 2016, right after 2015 and the major massive bottom, which arguably is or is not the bottom, but anyway, because of what happened in March of 2020. But but after 2016, there were a lot of things going on, and there was really some concern there. You want to talk about premiums? Look at the premiums on 90%. That was through the roof too. In the end of 2015, um, you know, Silver Eagles were on allocation. Now it's spread throughout more mints, not just the United States mint, but but so there was tightness there, and I think they were starting to get that tightness in the wholesale market, so to say. And here's why I'm kind of like loosely tying it into the wholesale because. In 2016, on election night, the entire world was distracted on the U.S. presidential election, Trump versus Clinton. And what happened that same night, which a lot of people might not know about, and probably not the people who are brand new to silver and gold, is that very same night of the election night, right, with the cover, with the distraction of the election night, India, India's prime minister, Modi, demonetized, right? Came out and declared a cash ban on the two most common circulating banknotes in India, right? She's talking about the second most populous country in the world, arguably. I mean, who knows whether it's India or China, but either one of them are over a billion people. So that's a lot. That's a huge population. So on election night in 2016, India, India's Prime Minister Modi demonetized the 500 rupee note and the 1,000 rupee note. That instantly set the Indian economy into instant chaos and turmoil. And you're talking about an economy that is largely cash-based, largely unbanked. So that was sheer chaos for months and months and months. And I think that what that what was going on at that point was they were at the point of losing control of the wholesale market and they needed to get a whole lot of gold and silver onto the markets. And that takes some time. So they crushed India's economy by demonetizing those two banknotes. They say that they did it to try and cut down on black market money or some black money or was the term that they were calling it. But, but I think that really what they needed to do was get gold and silver onto the market. And who has the most gold and silver? Arguably, it's either India or China. And India's got a whole bunch of it. So what happens when you crush India's economy, which is basically cash base? Well, a billion people have to tap into their savings. And what is their savings? Their savings is gold and silver, specifically for the reasons that you don't know when the prime ministers are going to pull this kind of crap and say, hey, you can no longer use the 500 banknote because it's no longer legal tender. Right. So what's going on is you crush the Indian economy, you get people force people to use their savings, which is real money. And then that goes out onto the market and then they can just save themselves and barely escape with the skin of their teeth or however the phrase goes. Right. So, so I think that's what happened in 2016 when we were really, 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 really close. Now I think this is happening again right now. India is the only country that has got some serious, crazy, crazy, crazy issues going on right now. And this time they don't need a distraction because the MSM propagandists love that kind of coverage. But what's going on in India right now really has me concerned. I think they're once again 
crushing the Indian economy and crushing the Indian markets because they're at that point of wholesale failure. So they need to get as much gold and silver onto these markets as they can. And remember, it wasn't just until recently that India started mad stacking silver too. So right now in real time, I've been following this for like the last three weeks. It's three weeks and I'm going, go to Reuters homepage. It's the very first article up there. Oh my goodness, they're running out. I don't know what's going on, right? I personally would think that it's a mass starvation if these people really are dying and stuff like that. But my point is they're breaking the back of the Indian economy and the markets once again, unfortunately, with the goal of that of bringing the gold and silver to market so that they don't have the collapse of the wholesale market. Did any of that make sense or anything I need to add on to that, Matt? No, absolutely. I mean, you're talking about the tightness in the physical market. And had India been able to muster up a higher amount of demand for silver in 2020, uh, I, and I think they, they struggle to do that largely because of, of fear of or, or um, realized economic uh, pain. Hardship. Hardship, hardship. Yeah. pure yeah. hardship. Oh, because I forgot to add this, Matt. I forgot to add because they don't have the social safety nets that we have, right? It's not like yeah. they got Uncle Joe handing out cash left and right to every single person who can fog a mirror. Nothing like that. They can't rely on the government for that kind of help. So that's it's severe hardship. India had some of the worst lockdowns in the entire world last year. So, but go ahead and continue, Matt. No, I mean, you're totally right. And you add into the fact that, that you know, here in the United States, uh, when you look at the fiscal spending and you look at the, the social safety net we have, uh, that especially the, the, the crazy extent of that that we've seen in the last year, that only can be possible with the world reserve currency, not to say that it's at all sustainable, but but if you tried to do that with, with the rupee or, or any other um, um, currency similar to that, uh, you know, emerging market currency, whatever. I mean, it, it, it'd be a, a you'd see massive inflation immediately, and not to say that you won't with a dollar, but but it'd be it'd be the 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 market would decide very quickly that that is not sustainable, much much faster, and so you don't have that benefited either in in India, and so. I guess what I'm saying here is that, you know, you have this way list. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but but in 2020, it was a good year for demand for silver overall, despite the fact that that India was, you know, not entirely absent, but largely absent from the market. I mean, Indians uh, historically over the last five plus years, you know, you, you, back in 2015, 2016, they were really getting into the silver market and they took a step back, partly because of what you were talking about. And 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 you're right in saying that had things gone differently, the silver market could look very different today. You know, had they been allowed to to accumulate versus actually have to sell into the market. And I think you're seeing a similar dynamic this time around um, because Indians do stack a lot of bullion, but also um, things like like jewelry and, and silverware in, in, in larger um, weights than, than maybe we would be used to, especially with jewelry. I mean, we're used to like, you know, a Maybe a, a ten a tenth ounce silver ring is is probably heavy by by Western standards, but but certainly they go much larger and heavier than that when when it comes to silver or gold in India. But anyways, you have this this huge cut in demand, and and so so real quick before I mean we, before you kind of wrap up this this thought, I guess how much of this is a lesson for us here in in the West? Um, because because it sucks that India and Indians have to use that silver to basically save themselves, save their families. But it's also it's also pretty cool that they have it in the first place to save yeah. themselves. They have that ability. 
Yeah, it's going to be much worse here, Matt. Much, 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 much worse because everybody's got the it'll never happen to the dollar. It can never happen here mentality. So, I mean, it's I'm looking for total fine. I call it economic misery and financial ruin. And that's what's coming to the United States, in my opinion. And it's just like you said, because we do have that world reserve currency that most Americans just tank for take for granted and don't even give it any second thoughts, really. And and that's the problem, because, you know, we talk about the black money, right? You're talking about counterfeit money, essentially. And you're talking about like, like, like literally counterfeit bills, right? So you're protecting against that when you stack gold and silver in India, or you're protecting against them coming out one evening and saying, Hey, you can no longer use this banknote. You got a bunch of money or mattress, right? So, so there's myriad reasons and why the Indian economy is protecting themselves like that. Here, people think that they're going to be protecting themselves in the stock market because it's going up. People think that they're protecting themselves in bonds, that they're protecting themselves in, you know, retirement accounts, pension plans, all of this and all that. But really, that's just a dollar-based financial product that's going to get obliterated to inflation. So, so it's going to be monumentally worse here. Basically, the collapse of the United States, kind of like the collapse of the Soviet Union in that sense. Um, just pure economic devastation because most people are going to be blindsided by this because they're unwilling to learn. They're brainwashed by the mainstream media and they don't think that it would ever happen to here. So um, there, there are many lessons to be learned with India and, and Americans should be taking note, especially since we're printing money like crazy. And I actually want to get into a little tiny bit of inflation if we could, because there's some things I want to talk about that just highlights the extent of the craziness of the money that we're printing that. Yeah, well, I was going to, I was literally about to ask you about inflation. Where are we at right now? Because I mean, you, you look at uh, CPI and PCE, which are not at all good indicators of inflation. Uh, but, but even they show a bit of an increase. But, but, but more importantly, you see everybody talking about it in the, in the financial space. I, I think maybe on the streets, maybe there's a lot of people that are conditioned to maybe not even ask that type of a question these days, you know, that, that such and such product certainly looks a lot more expensive than it did last month or last year. Um, but, but as a whole, I'm, there's a, there's a, it's something people are noticing as a whole, whether it's in the financial space or whether it's consumers, they're noticing inflation. So where are we at in this inflation cycle? It's, 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 it's pretty scary, Matt, when you think about it, right? Because it's not just the feds buddy, buddy system, enriching the banker buddies and all their wall street friends and and their bestest buddies in Washington. And that now it's into the people, right? And I just want to give one example of that. This is something I wrote about over at SD Bullion last week. Um, But, but think about this, right? Think about this. And first of all, I think that the, that this inflation is going to get much, 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 much worse moving forward and almost instantly, right? I think we're on the verge of some sort of instant crisis here, especially when it comes to food price inflation. I was remembering last year buying five years of corn for a dollar. My wife was telling me that two years ago, there was a time when Myers, I think it had a, a 10 years of corn for a dollar, 10 years of corn for a dollar. We went to the local Costco and we bought eight years of corn for $5.99 just last week. And then we went to the discount produce seller because they sell like, you know, on the verge produce of going bad. And, and, and it was only 10 for $6. So it's like prices are skyrocketing all around us and it's only going to get worse. Here's something to consider with inflation. Just two tiny, tiny, tiny programs that are going to be starting up here this month. Last week, Biden came out and started this brand new program. It's some sort of summer program run through the USDA to feed kids over the summer, saying there's going to be 30 million kids that are going to be getting fed. Now, 
Last year, that was all handled through the school system. And basically, you go up to the schools and you get your breakfast and your lunch five times a week, so 10 meals a week. Even my school district, right? I'm considered living in an affluent area. And even my school district just has blanket policy. They give every single student in the district free school lunches because they're just billing Uncle Sam for it. And it's easier to do that than to track down parents who have a balance or whatnot. But here's my point, right? Just last week, Biden came up with a brand new plan to feed kids over the summer. That's going to be a direct cash injection of $375 per child into the EBT, like the food stamp program. So basically, if you qualify for like, I think it's WIC, if you qualify for food stamps, or if you're on the federal free school or reduced lunch program, then you're automatically getting this additional money over the summer months deposited into your EBT food stamp account. Now, this is like $6.78. I can't remember the exact pennies per day. So it roughly averages $375 a month because of the uneven number of days in the month over the summer. But the point is, that's a direct cash injection. And on top of that, in July, you're going to have these earned income tax credit or the child tax credit that was part of the American Relief Act or whatever it was called. That's going to start kicking in through July through December. So you got $500 per child. So think about this. Starting this this month and, and especially picking up starting in July, you're going to have of a direct cash injection into lower income Americans. So if you're a family of four, or so, excuse me. So if you're a family and you got four kids that get free or reduced price lunch or on WIC or on food stamps or something like that, you're going to be getting direct cash injection from the U S federal government in January and in July, in August, you're going to be getting $3,000. Five hundred dollars. That's five hundred dollars for the child tax credit, and that's three hundred and seventy-five dollars for this USDA summer feed the kids program, or whatever they're calling it. Now, here's the thing about the USDA's program: that three hundred and seventy-five dollars. That's per child. And since that's into the EBT food stamp system, that direct cash injection can only be used for the purchase of food. And a lot of states have it where it can't be used for the purchase of like soda or, or monster energy drinks or something like that. So, so, so just the question is what is going to happen to food prices? You know, food prices have already skyrocketed and you're about to start directing even more massive amounts of cash into the system like this. They're estimating 30 million kids are going to be getting this direct cash injection to the food stamp program over the summer. So, This inflation is totally being driven both by the Fed on the monetary side of things, keeping the stock market propped up and keeping financial assets propped up. Jerome Powell's always talking about, well, we had to ensure the smooth market functioning and this and all that. So in other words, he doesn't want price discovery. He'd rather manipulate and intervene in the markets 24-7, which is what they're doing. But my point is now all this inflation, not all of it, but a lot of it is fiscal in nature and it's direct cash injections to the people. When you give 30 million kids $375 a month and you say all this can be spent on is food and if you don't spend it, you're going to lose it. You don't think you're going to go out and buy a ton of food and you don't think that's going to have immediate drastic effects on food prices. So this is what's coming, Matt. I mean, this is just, it's just going to build and build and build and build and build and build on itself. Because it's an unbacked debt-based fiat currency dependent on exponential unsustainable growth, right? So, so that's where we are in this. So if you're, say, a single mother with four kids, 
you're saying, oh, I can't wait till July because I'm going to get $3,500 from Uncle Sam. And that's just two programs, just two programs. That doesn't consider, are you getting pandemic unemployment insurance? Are you getting extended uninsurance benefits or any other program that people might be getting from the government? That's just two tiny programs. Yeah, a couple of thoughts on that. You bring up, I think, a really good point for, for again, kind of newer people in the space, that distinction between monetary and fiscal stimulus. For years, people talked about the inflation, the hyperinflation that would happen because of QE and low interest rates. And, and, and today, there's a lot of people that would say they were wrong. We didn't get any inflation. But, but the truth of the matter is that we, we did get a lot of inflation, but monetary stimulus predominantly we've seen influences uh, financial assets. We've seen a ton of inflation in, in stocks and in real estate and, uh, and, 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 and debt markets, um, bond markets, because of low interest rates, because of this, this huge stimulus uh, that hasn't maybe entered the economy to the same extent as fiscal stimulus. And that's kind of the big game changer here that in the last year and at an accelerating pace more recently, we're getting fiscal stimulus um, money that more or less is being printed because this is debt that's all going to be monetized by the Fed. Um, and, and it's going to go directly into the economy. And yes, you know, what maybe like Zero Hedge and some others to focus on is, is how much of that money is going to be going towards uh, um, people's you know, brokerage account and then and, and straight into the stock market or how much of that contributed to GameStop and whatnot. But there's a whole lot of people that, that are not into cryptos, not into um, even precious metals or the stock market. Uh, a lot of people that are going to be spending that money on a regular basis on, on goods and, and services. And, and some of it's going to be um, um, kind of goods and services that they, that they need and others won't be. But, but the point of it is, is that it's a huge amount of fiscal stimulus. And you're absolutely right that, that if you think, you know, 2020 was, was a year for, for fiscal stimulus or even just the first year of COVID kind of March going forward, March, 2020 going forward in, in terms of, of the stimulus checks, in terms of the unemployment programs. Uh, I think, I think especially with, who knows how much things would be different if we had a different administration, uh, but, but I'm, I'm not convinced it'd be a whole lot different, but especially with a democratic um, 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 administration, you're going to see that even more. I, there's not a whole lot of pushback, whether it's um, infrastructure programs or um, um, spending programs for, for, for stimulus checks or, or for, for EBT or for the, the tax credit, you know, the thing about the, the child tax credit, it's, you know, it's basically the idea behind it is, well, this was going to be distributed in your tax refund. We're just going to distribute it on a, on a monthly basis, which which at face value, you have no problem with, except that it was an increase. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but but it was an increase compared to what the child tax credit was uh, for for, you know, 2019. You know, um, it it certainly looks a lot like UBI to me. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, I would agree with everything you said there. And there was another point that I was going to make, but I didn't write it down. So I probably should have. Um, but I forgot what I was going to say on that. But that's okay. So continue. So so I guess to, to, just to follow up on that question. So, so you have rising food prices, rising commodity prices, uh, whether it's lumber, metals, or, you know, food commodities. Uh, at what point does does this descend 
kind of into that to that really scary cycle of inflation where where people are buying assets or buying goods and services today because it I better buy it now before it's more expensive tomorrow or next week or next month. Right. And and I think that's starting to happen now. And I do remember the point that I was going to bring up. Um Right. Cause, cause a lot of things, you know, people, you hear people talking about pent up demand and all, there's all this pent up demand and stuff like that. And part of my thoughts on that whole pent up demand thing, and people are going to be traveling in this and that. And yeah, there's a lot of that going on, but there's also a lot of that not going on in a sense that there's still a lot of craziness with, with this pent up demand, especially when it comes to travel and spending on services and experiences and things like that as opposed to just buying stuff. And, and let me give you an example of that. You know, last year, my son's in junior high. They canceled the trip to Washington, D.C., and then they were going to have it going on this year, and everybody was looking forward to it. And then at the last minute, they just canceled the summer trip to Washington, D.C. again, right? And then you got all of these states that are so just like hit or miss when it comes to their restrictions and their travel restrictions and their and and their different shutdowns and capacity limitations and this and that. So, I think that is still off-putting for a lot of people. And then the fact that a lot of people simply don't want to take that thing for whatever reason, and I have no problem with that. So so, so a lot of people are just kind of wondering, you know, traveling, it's still not, you know, it's still not under ideal circumstances anymore. So so, so if, if we're not immediately going to flip this reopen switch and everybody's just going to go back to all these things they used to be doing before, going to movies, going to concerts, going to sports, going to all this and all that. And if they're seeing these rising prices in the store, which no doubt everybody's seeing, you know, I bought a washing machine in January and we got it delivered in April. That's how long it took. I'm sure it's going to take even longer now. Right. But so if people are still unsure about just spending discretionary income on experiences, on services, on travel and on all that, well, then the next thing that they're going to do is start buying stuff. And, and, and so I think we're seeing that now with a lot of the sporadic reopenings and inconsistent reopenings, for lack of a better word. So, I mean, we're there, right? I, and, and, and it's the crack up boom and it's classic. And, and, and ultimately what's going to happen is it's going to be everything that's not nailed down is going to get purchased in this hyperinflationary spiral. Right now you're seeing it in certain sectors, right? I'm a computer expert. I'm a computer enthusiast, right? And and I've been following like the processor and the RAM and the graphics card markets for almost a year now because like the brand new Xbox and PlayStation 5 came out last November. They're still unavailable anywhere at like Best Buy or Walmart or anything like that. You got to go on eBuy and pay, you know, scalpers prices for that at elevated prices and look at lumber. So you got a crack up boom going there. Look at, look at different commodities. You got stuff going on there. So all of this stuff is happening right now. It's just that there are pockets of activity, but pretty soon what's going to happen is these pockets of activity are going to turn into massive, just anything and everything of value. You know, I was joking because I went out to eat with my family the other day and I was like maybe we should save these straws because pretty soon these straws are going to be valuable you know and that's the kind of craziness that we're talking about here but that's just what has to happen because the currency is going to eventually become worthless right that's that's the end game to this I don't see why people don't think it's going to be a hyperinflationary route because that's the course that we're on um did any of that make sense Matt yeah absolutely I think I think eventually you're going to have a situation where 
like you were saying, there there's going to be this this search for for tangible. So so like you said, straws, things that are that are going to meet some of the requirements of money. Something that is yeah maybe not easily divisible, but something that can easily be you know, sold or or something like like straws. I mean that's a, that's a good example. Um, certainly easier to, to sell than a washing machine. But then you look at big ticket items like a washing machine. Like I personally am probably not going to buy milk today out of fear of inflation of the price of milk a week from now. Maybe that will one day be the case, but, but that's not where we're at right now. When it comes to a big ticket item like a washing machine though, uh, or or if they were to be available, you know, a PlayStation or an Xbox or something like that, uh, that would be... A different case, and yet in the milk markets or or corn markets, where you have the same dynamic plane in, in the actual marketplace for for those for those commodities, buying it today because it, it's going to be a higher price tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely, and that's all you can do. And and if you don't know what to buy, or if you or you know, like I don't know if you saw that article on uh, Zero Hedge. I kind of wrote about that yesterday, but where like the the Costco rolls had gone from one sixty yeah. to one forty, and I actually looked, and we got two of those with the one sixty, and and over the weekend I bought some with the one forty in it because I mean, well, it's going to go up again, and I added some more Coca Cola because we like to drink Coca Cola in this house, and they've already announced that they're going to be adding prices. So, yeah, I mean, the whole thing about this is, you know, as money's coming in. You got to get it into something that's real, and I and I say the straws more as a joke, as like the whole like 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 buy a bottle of wine for dinner, and then the bottle is worth more than it was when you bought with wine in it. So that's kind of more like a joke in that sense. But the fact that it's something that's real is what is going to be saving people's butt because it's a cycle, right? It's a never-ending cycle. So you've always got to be getting that money and then immediately reinvesting it into something that's real, that's going to go up in value with everything else that's going up in value. Silver being the absolute best thing, period, because it is money. So it's just naturally going to be keeping pace with this inflation. Obviously, there's the manipulation and the ups and downs, but just in general, generally speaking. So, yeah, I'm all about real stuff. Um, you know, whether it's buying an extra thing of laundry detergent and buying an extra thing of rice and buying an extra thing of batteries and, you know, just spreading it around. And any money that's left over when you have enough batteries and you have enough rice, then you put that in the silver. Because if you have money in the bank, if you have money in the stock market, think about that, right? Like people are like, well, stock market's an inflation hedge because it's going up. But yeah, we're talking about the end stage hyperinflation of the U.S. dollar. So in the crack up boom, yes, it's going up, but everything from the stores is going to be disappearing. So when it does in the spectacular explosion up there, you're not going to be able to buy anything. So it didn't do any good and you're going to get financially obliterated. Real things and real stuff is where it's at. And that's the hard part. And the hard part is actually making those moves. The other thing I like about silver, and you said this at the very beginning, is yes, it takes work. To buy silver, it takes work. To get silver, it takes work. To sell silver, it takes work. But what does that mean? That means that you're also going to think it through. So you're going to think through hard when you're going to buy silver. You're going to think through hard if you ever need to sell some of that silver because you need to spend your money because it's your savings. And because of the fact that it's physical like that, it, 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 it adds that additional layer of, okay, am I really making the right decision right now? 
because of the fact that you can't click a mouse and sell it just like that and have it disappear, you got to think through those thought processes. But if everybody doesn't have a plan to be dealing with this inflation right now, it's too late to come up with a plan. People need to be executing their plans for how they're going to be dealing with the inflation. Me, I'm spreading it around. I recently bought another car. I've been buying, you know, non-perishable stuff. I've been buying silver. So, you know, you got to do something with that money financial assets, the stock market, none, all of that stuff is going to get obliterated. The question is, is it going to be in one year? Is it going to be in five years? You know, I don't know how long it's going to be, but I do know that if a person wants like change for the better, they need to be doing their part to make it come as fast as possible. Because the longer it takes for all of these things to play out, the more human suffering there's going to be. And that's the sad part of it all, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think you you bring up, you know, good points. And I always you're talking about real things, tangible assets, uh, even if that asset is a, um, a bag of rice versus versus a bar of silver. Uh, you know, it goes back. And you also brought up earlier this idea that here in, in the United States, currently, we have relatively easy access to precious metals. And that's not the case for, for everyone, um, nor is it the case for, for a lot of other countries that have gone through similar periods of of inflation or hyperinflation, especially as they get closer to that point, all of a sudden, um, what is what Gresham's law, right? Basically, that bad money pushes good money out of the system, and you're going to see that um, with with precious metals in 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 terms of inflation and hyperinflation that that they will just not be out there. I think for for the average person to buy, you know, I I always go back to this conversation, just brief conversation I had you know, a number of years ago with this this woman who I just happened to be chatting with, she was, um, you know, probably in her, her forties or fifties at this point. And, uh, she had, she had a very thick accent. Um, and I was like trying to figure it out. Russian, you know, Eastern European, um, you know, where's this woman from? She was from, um, Kazakhstan and she had, she had lived in Kazakhstan during the, the fall of the Soviet union. Um, and so you can imagine the, the, the economic turmoil, um, they experienced. And one of the things she talked about is, is that, well, you know, in, in the midst of that economic, which was very real and, and it certainly had stuck in, it appeared to have stuck in her memory. One of the things that, that she brought up, she used the word tangible and that kind of blew my mind because it was all these other people here in this community talking about tangible assets. And she used it um, without me even saying anything. And she talked about how, you know, when they were in the midst of that economic uh, turmoil, and I'm sure some of the inflation of the, the ruble or even the question of, are they going to use the ruble anymore in terms of currency? Um, she was talking about how people there were, were going out and they were buying salt, you know, a big, a big, you know, bag or, or whatever of, of salt because it was tangible and it was non-perishable that, that eggs might be all over the, 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 um, the shelves at the store because eggs are going to go bad pretty quick. But but salt or anything tangible, people were buying that because they wanted to do as they wanted to get rid of their rubles as fast as they could into something that they could at least hold on to. Even if it was salt, that blows my mind. I mean, salt is 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 cheap. You can buy a big, you know, cardboard can of it for like a dollar, a dollar fifty, you know, it blows my mind. You yeah, know, one and, yeah, you can go. And 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 you know, bring it and and I just want to add on to that, to what you're saying. I want to add on to what you're saying, because 
that's the other thing, right? And this happened in Mexico too, right? And I'll talk to the older Mexicans about this because, you know, in the early 90s, they devalued the peso. And then at one point, they just took three zeros off of the peso. So a thousand pesos became one peso. And part of the thing about that, right, is, is, is so, so that would be Mexico's reset, right? So, so all of this is leading to that reset. And they want to reset it digital or bring in the digital in conjunction with it or however they're trying to make it and sell it to the public. But, you know, the point is, once you get to that stage, right, people have already lost everything. So you're like, and then what was it after that reset? And what was it after the climax? What what was it after it happened? And they were like, well, I mean, it didn't matter to most people because most people had no savings in the money anyway at that point. So it didn't really matter. One day it was a thousand pesos and the next day it was one. And since you didn't have any financial savings, it didn't matter to you. The people who were rich and who had the money, they saw what was going on. They had inside information of what was going on and they were able to convert their savings and escape that. But everybody else, they just got all of their savings eaten away through inflation. And by the time that these resets happened, they didn't have anything at that point. So they never skipped the beat, so to say, on the streets. So yes, I mean, these are the dynamics that are happening right now. We're in these, you know, I don't want to call it panic buying and hoarding stages. And I hate that word hoarding. I like the word stockpiling, but we're right there right now. And the people who are talking about it kind of sound a little bit crazy, but that's just because they're early, right? And if you're early, that's when you get in and you get the right prices, and you get the most protection, and quite frankly, the most leverage for your money. So so um, I just wanted to add that on because it's a process. And where you're talking about in the process of just getting rid of it and buying anything, that's because that's rapidly losing value. And by the time nobody has any financial savings, then they can easily roll out these types of resets, where they're cutting something off of the dollar, or they're cutting something off of the peso, or the ruble, or whatever currency it is. Yeah. And, and, you know, another way to think about this is also uh, uh, listeners here, um, their their own savings, but also their own income that if you look at a 60K a year salary, that is probably going to look very different a year from now or five years from now than it does now. You know, that might look reasonable now. That might be that, that you know, you look at your um, your your expenses and and certain certain expenses may not follow inflation, um, and, and for instance, like a mortgage payment that may not follow inflation, and like and that's why you know I've always looked at like mortgage rates and, and I was thought like wow that's you know as much as you want to fight the beast and, and get rid of debt, uh, wow I mean why not just wait you know when when it comes to something like that but but there's going to be a lot of cost of living that that is going to to rise and it's i think really unreasonable to expect not not unreasonable but but it's it don't expect your 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 income to rise in kind i i mean if if we're talking about really high inflation that for a long time i think is going to be entirely denied by most of the mainstream media by by government statistics then you're not going to get a you know a cost of living adjustment that's going to be 15% it's still going to be 2 or 3% yeah, I got to throw one more thing at you there because we're talking about that inflation because I don't know. Do you I don't know if you remember when like last this was also last week. I also wrote about this last week, but Biden came out and he read. And this is another thing that makes me mad about the transitory nature of this. I don't know if you saw, but Biden came out and with an executive order last week, raising the minimum wage to fifteen dollars for federal contractors. Now, this is going to trickle out into the entire economy eventually. But here's the point with that. Right. 
And this is where your income, you know, at one point, well, that doesn't even take effect until 2022. I'm going off memory here, but January 31st, 2022 is when that $15 minimum wage takes effect. Think about these dynamics. Every single year, the Secretary of Labor is going to reevaluate that and put a brand new minimum wage every single year. And they got to give the contractors 90 days notice. And here's the thing with that executive order. The minimum wage can never be lower than what it currently is. And it's going to be indexed off of the CPI, right? So, so if it's 3%, then that's the increase. If it's 5%, then that's the increase. If it's 7%, then that's the increase. So the Biden administration is telling us they're raising the floor. It's not even starting until 2022, so much for transitory. Every year they're going to reevaluate it, and it can only go up if they're going to change the minimum wage. So, yes, these are just like those – These. so what I'm saying is that those steps that they're taking now, these are those baby steps to deal with like, hey, my wages need to go up. Hey, I'm not making enough to keep up. How do I get more income? So all of these things are, these are these foundations being placed for the US dollar hyperinflation, even though people don't think about it that way, Matt. So you brought up the term transitory, which is kind of the, the buzzword in the last week or so. Transitory inflation, this goes back to, to Jerome Powell and, and his comments on inflation, basically that that is transitory, which 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 irks me. It it uh it's such a cop out. You know, I was listening to a <laughs> I was listening to a podcast last week. This was uh um uh, David McIlvaney and um Kevin Oric, and and they were talking about this word transitory. And and literally, you know, if you look at the definition of transitory, there's nothing in there that implies minor or not severe or insignificant. It literally just means not permanent. And so it's like if you're asking them a question about like, hey, we're, we're looking at kind of high inflation right now or inflation's on the rise. What are your thoughts on it? He basically said it's not permanent. Mm-hmm. But you know, they brought up the point that there's a lot of really bad things that have happened in history that have been transitory. They've been not permanent. You look at the world wars. You look at um, the hyperinflation uh, that's that's happened in a lot of other countries. Those things were transitory in nature. But they weren't at all minor, minor, insignificant. And World War II was not; it was transitory, but it was not insignificant. The 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 inflation in um, it's a hyperinflation of a currency that maybe finds some stability afterwards, or at least comes down from you know maybe ten thousand percent or whatever. Well, that hyperinflation was transitory; it wasn't any less damaging though. It's such a cop out, and it and it. It bugs me. <laughs> it is a cop-out. And it's not even a cop-out. It's just a flat-out lie because what I was talking about is wage inflation, right? That's the mm-hmm. price of labor. That's an actual cost. That's actual inflation. And that's not even starting until next year. And it's going to be expanded upon every year after that, right? So it's like, well, so my my point with that is, well, how many years is transitory, right? Because I'm mentioning a program that starts next year and gets reevaluated every year and wages can only go up. Well, that sounds like it's not transitory because it's permanent for many, many years out in the future, perhaps even indefinitely. So yeah, it is a cop-out and it's disingenuine at best. And I mean, it's just flat out lies really when you think about it, especially when you look at that Biden executive order I just mentioned. I think I heard him say something yesterday about nobody under 400,000 in terms of incomes can pay taxes now too. No. (laughs) (laughs) That's because because in two years, we're all going to be making over 400,000, you know? So it's like (laughs) setting up foundation for hyperinflation there too. It's like, oh my goodness. More truth 
more truth to that than yeah than anybody realized. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, well, Paul, so, 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 so you got to translate the new speak, right? So when he's saying that, he's like, people are like, oh, I have nothing to worry about. And then all of a sudden, you know, in a couple of years, you're making over that amount of money. <laughs> Paul, I, I think this is a good point to wrap things up. Um, we could probably chat all day about this and, and, uh, and, and go on and on about this. And, and I think maybe the, the solution to that is probably just to have you on at some point again in the future. To, to check up on all these things and, and, and kind of talk further into some of these topics. How's Indeed. that sound to you? <laughs> Indeed. That sounds like a great plan, Matt. And I appreciate you having me on today. Yeah, absolutely. Real quick, uh, just a quick reminder for the listeners that are still here after hour plus of us talking, where can they find you? Where can they find your content? Um, just go to silver doctors. Um, we got like, uh, 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 we got a right, right side pane there that's got like um some of our contributing authors and my name's there and so you can click on me and see all the stuff i write i write monday wednesday and friday standard like that i regularly have like planned to do a writing regularly and then like on tuesdays and thursdays and throughout the week if something comes up i'll write an article on that but but uh yeah and then the other thing though is also just to extend the invitation so you know just send an email to news at silverdoctors.com if you got any submissions and you want us to consider it for publishing because it's like you said at the very beginning we're not about just letting the most famous people have a voice we're about letting everybody have a voice and the community can decide who's worth the darn and who's not yeah, absolutely. And and like I said, I've always appreciated that. And I think there's been a lot of people that have really benefited from that, that we otherwise probably wouldn't have heard of, or certainly wouldn't have as big of a name as they might have now. Mm-hmm. Indeed. So, so I appreciate that, Matt. I appreciate you giving me a chance to talk about that. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So anyways, yeah, I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll have to come back to this eventually in the future and, uh, and, and uh, we'll wrap this up now. So, so hope you have a, have a good day and, and certainly looking forward to, to chat with you again, Paul. Sounds good. Looking forward to. All right. Take care.